buying an established practice, it can be more expensive mm -hmm. sometimes, depending on the practice that you're buying. Like, I mean, we've seen a lot of activity with corporates in the space, you know, the big dental corporates buying up dental practices and they'll, they'll pay premiums, you know, and they've driven up the price, the sale price of established practices. So if you're in a position where you're kind of competing against a corporate or something, it's very difficult for an individual practitioner to go up against a corporate unless, unless the vendor is actually concerned about who buys it. Hello, and welcome back for another episode of the Newbie Dentist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Omid Azami. I'm very excited to be starting the financial mini-series. This is episode one. In this financial mini-series, over the next four episodes, I will be discussing and talking to various personal finance specialists around practice ownership. We'll be talking about what is good debt, what is bad debt, when to buy a practice, whether you should buy a house or a car or a practice first, how to prepare applications to get financing for your practice, and much, much more. I'm very excited to bring this topic to the Newbie Dentist podcast as it is something that I've not yet covered. And for me, it was interesting, and I think a lot of the listeners, especially the new grads out there, will find a lot of value in the expertise of the guests over the next few episodes. In this episode, I have the privilege of talking to Glenn Stewart. Glenn has been working in finance for 21 years since the age of 17. He started off in Ireland across areas such as retail deposits and investments, residential property finance, and commercial property finance. He's been working in Australia for the last 13 years across different areas such as property investments, growth and acquisition finance, and specialist lending. For the past 10 years, Glenn has been working exclusively in medical finance space and is currently the head of credit at Credible, where he predominantly is involved in the assessment of loan applications from medical professionals seeking practice finance. I had a great chat with Glenn today and we covered a lot of topics, including what is debt and can debt be good or bad for your practice, how to prepare for a loan application to get money for a practice, whether it be a startup or a purchase of an existing practice. We also talk about a little bit about what is a credit score, how it's calculated and why it's important to you as someone looking to get financing. And we finish off by talking about some of the areas of why it is important to choose a specialist lender versus going to another bank. This episode of the Newbie Dentist Podcast has been proudly supported by specialist medical lender Credible. If you need finance, be it for your personal or professional needs, the team at Credible know the drill. From home loans and car loans to equipment and fit-out loans, or even commercial property and practice purchases, the finance specialist at Credible will provide a tailored solution for you. Learn more at www.credible.com.au, that's C-R-E-D-A-B-L.com.au, where you can learn more and you can live chat with a member of the team 24-7. As always, if you are new to the Newbie Dentist podcast, thank you for checking out the podcast. We have had a lot of great guests over the years, so be sure to check out the previous episodes on iTunes, on Spotify, or on my website at www.newbiedentist.com. If you're a returning listener, thank you for your ongoing support. If you could head over to the podcast app and give this show a five-star rating and leave a review, that would be amazing as it does help the show get more exposure. Without further delay, enjoy my interview with Glenn Stewart. Welcome to the Newbie Dentist Podcast. 
giving a voice to young clinicians worldwide. The Newbie Dentist Podcast aims to be the dental industry leader in in-depth, informative and motivational interviews with some of the world's leading clinicians, academics and experts with your host, Dr. Omid Azami. I'm joined today by Glenn Stewart, who is head of credit at Credible. Today, we're going to be talking about credit, lending, debt, and I'm really excited to you know add this topic to the podcast because I think it's a big area for young dentists, especially who come out, start making some money. On one hand, we got our student loans and things like that that are you know getting bigger and bigger, depending where you're listening in the world as well, especially in North America and some of the international students have pretty massive uh, student loans. And then there comes the you know lifestyle aspects and then buying a practice. So uh, Glenn, I'm really excited to kind of you know get your expertise on this. Uh, so thanks for coming on today. Oh, thank you for having me, Ahmed. I'm uh, very excited to be here and uh, congratulations on the success of your podcast. It's such a, a great resource for the dental community. So hopefully I can contribute in a, in a positive way. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Glenn, you know, how we normally start these things off is a bit of a background story. So if you can just tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do with Credible, and then we'll sort of dive into the topic from there. Sure. Well, I'm from Dublin, Ireland originally. I started in, in finance when I was 17 years old, so straight out of high school. I guess I left high school. I didn't, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my career. And my parents were, you know, at the time it was kind of like, well, you know, a, a, bank, a job in a bank is a secure, respectable, pensionable job. And maybe that's something you should do. So I took their advice and, and that's where I ended up going. So I kind of fell into it that way. And I did my, my degree then part time. I said, I don't know if they would give me the same advice again today because, <laughs> uh, you know, since we've had the global financial crisis and different royal commissions and, and that sort of stuff, I don't know yeah. if it's as secure as they maybe once <laughs> thought. But I'm in Sydney, Australia right now, and I, I came here about 13 years ago. So in that time, about three years after I arrived in Australia, I got the opportunity to get some exposure to medical finance. And it was a bit of a aha moment for me. And it kind of ignited a passion in my career that I had never had before. And I think it's, you know, the, the medical profession, it's always a profession that I've had a great respect for, like the, the, just the amazing support that they give the, the community. And I mean, it's, it's been very apparent this year during COVID, you know, yeah. that you guys have been just putting, putting yourselves personally at risk for the rest of us. So I think it was an element of, you know, if I can support this profession in some way, even if it's only a small way and it's only one aspect, you know, if I can make their, their finances less stressful and, and one thing less for them to worry about, then, you know, that was a purpose for me that I could really get on board with. So, so I've been in medical finance now for 10 years Sorry. and yeah, currently working with Credible. Who have, it's, a, it's, a, it's a relatively new brand. We've set up the business three years ago, but we've been in this space under other brands for um, over 20 years. A lot of our guys have been doing this, so. Perfect. And what is your, I guess, your area of expertise with Incredible? Sort of what is the, the main work that you do these days? So predominantly, I'm looking at loan applications. So I work in the credit team, which is to a degree, you're kind of, you know, credit is kind of a behind the desk job. You're looking at loan applications. You're looking at numbers. You're trying to balance. You're trying to, you know, approve loans and, and give clients loans. So you kind of grow the business, but you're trying to balance the risk as well so you can protect the business so we're not going to lose too much money 
you know so it's trying to find that balance of you know writing loans and getting loans out there and supporting our clients but also kind of trying to manage the risks so we don't lose too much money on the loans that we're putting out there so most of my day is is looking at those loan applications as they come in loan applications yeah yeah so you know 2020 has been an interesting year a lot of us you know you know, with work stoppages and not being able to work myself personally. And like, you know, a lot of my friends in the, who are dentists and doctors, we've sort of become more maybe financially literate because we've had to figure out, you know, having the, you know, the rainy day fund, having savings, knowing, you know, their expenditures and make money going out, coming in, investing. So it's been like a big journey so far this year in terms of like learning. And that's why I'm really excited about this sort of financial mini series that we'll be working on. So, you know, money means a lot of different things to different people that have different relationships with, you know, risk appetite and taking on debt. What's your thoughts about like, if you want to open a practice and you're putting in an application, some dentists might think, okay, I need to have, you know, X amount saved up so I can sort of fund it partially or mostly, or some people have a bigger risk appetite for taking on a lot of debt. So they might approach you guys with very little money down um, to start the process. What is sort of your decision-making in terms of, or what's your advice around, you know, it's, is good debt versus bad debt or how much money should a, a dentist or have in order to sort of approach you guys about opening or buying into a practice? So I guess, I guess the first thing about to consider when you're thinking about taking on debt is, is why do you need the funding? You know, what, what are you going to do with it? You know, expanding your practice or, you know, that, that might be that you're increasing the floor space, you're putting in an extra surgery, creating efficiencies, or you're doing something, maybe procedures, you're buying equipment that will allow you to do procedures in-house that you were referring out before. So I guess there's got to be a clear business case and a return on your investment. You know, if you think about that, like I'm investing money into something, you know, before you do that, you've got to be getting a certain return on that because you're taking on a liability and a commitment. So you want to make sure it's going to generate something for you in return. So there's got to be that business case. It's got to be adding value to your business. I guess, you know, if, if you do decide that you want to buy a practice or upgrade equipment or expand in some way, there are really only three ways you can do that. The first way is from your existing cash flow. So mm-hmm. spare cash that you've saved or that you have, I guess the pro with using your, your cash flow for this sort of thing is that you don't have to take on debt. So you're not going to have a liability. But the problem with using your cash flow to fund these sort of things is that it can take a long time to build up enough cash flow to actually pay for this sort of stuff. You know, like yes. equipment is becoming, you know, it's, it's, it's expensive. You know, dental equipment is expensive. So if you're relying on your cash flow to fund those sort of assets, it, it can take time for you to acquire them. The other thing about using your cash flow is that, you know, it depletes your reserves. So, you know, anyone who's in kind of business knows there are going to be unexpected costs. You know, there are things that come up that you haven't planned for. So if you're depleting your cash flow to buy equipment assets or whatever it might be, you kind of, you're potentially leaving yourself short. I guess the second way that you can fund these sort of things is, is private equity. So it's trying to get investors that will invest in your business. I guess, the, the positive with that is that you're, you're, I guess you're not taking on debt either. So you haven't got this liability on your balance sheet. Um, but a private investor is probably going to want to, they're going to want a shareholding in your <laughs> yeah, practice, right? A slice and of the want, pie. Yeah. A slice of the pie. So in a way you're giving up a certain amount of control of your practice, mm-hmm. you know, um, you don't have a hundred percent say on what happens or the direction that you take the practice in. You've got to consult someone else in those decisions that you're making. So then I guess we come to debt. And I guess the pros with debt is that you can preserve your cash flow. 
you can retain 100% control of your practice because the lender isn't going to want to share in your practice. They're going to secure the loan by way of the, the asset, whatever asset that you're funding, they'll take that as security. And you know, you'll know you'll guarantee the loan personally or whatever, but they won't go after like a share in your practice. So you still have 100% say over the direction you take your practice in, you know how you grow it. I guess the con is that it is a liability that you have to pay. You know, it, there's going to be monthly repayments. It's, it's an obligation that you have and you're not going to be able to walk away from it. You know, even if times get tough, you've still got to meet this liability. So I guess they're kind of the, the, the three main options you have. And, and that's why there's got to be, you know, a return on your investment by taking on this debt. I mean, big no-nos with taking on debt is is, is taking, taking on more debt to repay existing debt. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. never do that, you know, because you're just digging a hole for yourself. Yeah. You know, or if if you do the numbers and you turn out that I'm going to be paying more on this debt than I'm actually going to get in return from my investment, then that doesn't make sense to take on debt. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I remember uh, early on, there's a, another like dental podcaster, Howard Friend, who's been doing it for a long time in the US and he runs <clears throat> Dental Town and uh, Dentistry Uncensored. And he had this analogy of, you know, if you want to just for like example, for like taking student debt to go to dental school, you know, you can work at McDonald's for like 10 years and save up and then go to dental school debt free, or you can borrow the money, go now, and then your earning potential after when you graduate is that much higher. So you can just pay off the loan. So that's like that. How you, I always like look at debt. I'm like, if I'm going to take this money on, will it allow me to increase my production or my end game that much that I can pay off the debt and cover the differences pretty quickly? Yeah, exactly right. And I think, you know, I guess because we only deal with the medical profession, we don't lend to any other any other profession. So we we understand, let's say, um, the career life cycle of of a dentist. So we like we're prepared for you coming out of, you know, graduating and having all this hex debt, having no savings, and normally be you know because you spend so long qualifying and you invest so much time in your qualifications you know, when you actually do get there, you can be a little bit behind your peers who haven't gone into the medical profession, you know, Mm -hmm. they might have already bought a home, you know, they've got a car, and you're playing catch up. So we find that a lot of medical professions, when they do graduate, they kind of want to buy a home straight away, so they Mm -hmm. can catch up with all of their peers who are ahead of them. But sometimes you go into a standard bank, and they see all the debt that you have, they see that you haven't been employed for, you know, like two years or whatever, you haven't got a history of earnings. And that can kind of make it difficult then to, to get approval. But I guess because we took the time to understand your profession, we kind of expect to see that, you know? So when you come to us for a home loan, we expect you to have lots of hex debt, yeah. you know? But we know that, you know, what your earning potential is and, and what your qualification is worth. So that's kind of what, what we look at. Definitely. And I think that's probably one of the, the, the benefits of working with like a specialist lender that they understand more specifically their career, the demands, and sort of like you said, the uh, the career cycle of, of uh, the professionals coming into it. Uh, Glenn, so we, we're recording this sort of towards the end of 2020. By the time the podcast comes out, probably early 2021, you know, interest rates and things have been really low, obviously, with everything going on and government's trying to um, support people starting businesses and, and getting things going. What's your thoughts around where we are right now? So if, if I'm a dentist and I'm thinking of, okay, I'm going to, you know, I've been working for a couple of years. I've, I've built up my clinical skills. I think I'm ready to, you know, buy a practice or um, start a practice. Is this like a really interestingly, like a good time to a good opportunity because of the interest rates and things being where they are to, to make that move, to take on the debt, to make a purchase like that? Yeah. Like, I mean, interest rates are at an all time low. So it is, it is a good time to take on debt, but I guess 
it's still got to make sense in all those things like that we've talked about before you know low interest rates isn't just a reason to take on debt <laughs> you know we're we're finding that you know the, the medical space has, has picked up again there's good deals out there like it did you know it stopped everything for a while we had clients who had dental practices you know lined up to buy and then COVID hit and they just put everything on hold and didn't yeah. go ahead with the purchase but there's definitely a lot more activity now so i would say yes it's, it's still a good time i think for medical professionals you'll, you'll probably find that there's actually a lot more probably lenders in the in this medical finance space at the moment because what what we see i guess you know when you're applying for a loan one of the first things you've got to do is, is choose the lender that you're going to go with and there are I get there are so many lenders out there it can be very hard to pick one yeah but you could kind of divide them into two buckets you can have your retail lenders which is your big banks and you've got your specialist lenders which are which are smaller but we've been doing this for so long and in different economic cycles that we've we've seen that in times like this where the you know like COVID or something happens to the economy a lot of the retail lenders they actually start to focus more on the medical finance space because your business kind of becomes a safe haven for them. Yeah. You know, it's it's more low risk. It's a way for them to hedge their own risk. Yeah. So we actually find that a lot of the retail lenders they start focusing in the medical finance space in times like this because they see it as as a less risky and a safe haven for them. So you might find there's a lot of choice out there. One thing to keep in mind is that because these retail lenders can come into this space to hedge their risk, when times are good, they can also leave the space very quickly. You know, so you can yeah. start a relationship with, with that lender. And then when times are good, they they kind of lose focus in this space. So they might be less responsive. You might get less less attention than you did when, when times were bad, you know. So I guess that's one thing to think about. But retail lenders will be will be cheaper as well. You know, if you go to a specialist lender, they're going to be a bit more expensive. But, you know, you, you might pay for it in another way with a retail lender because of the the process might be a bit more complicated and might be a bit more lengthy. You mightn't get that attention and, and kind of customer service that you want. Whereas you might get that with a, with a specialized lender, but you'll probably have to pay a little bit more for it. So yeah. you've, got, you've got to go through that. Yeah. And don't get blinded, I guess, by by the fancy rates that are out there, because <laughs> I think there's probably more to it. Yeah. Well, as, a, as with most things, I think it's it's one of those where you, you get what you pay for in a way. So you might, yeah. if you're just shopping on price, then it, it might hurt you in those other aspects that you mentioned with customer service and follow up, like additional loans down the track if you want to expand your practice that you've now bought and all those sort yeah. of things. So Glenn, I mean, your, your main expertise is, you know, processing these loan applications that come through and seeing whether or not they're suitable to to give credit for someone to do that. I'm interested in maybe if like, you know, hypothetical cases, obviously, maybe like, Give me a good and a bad application. Sort of what's the difference things you've seen in terms of their liabilities that they have on their hand. So what makes like when you get two applications on your desk, you know, person A, person B, tell me like a good application. You just like look at it, like yep, this person is like a slam dunk case versus one that's a bit questionable. We got to do some more due diligence before we decide. Well, I guess a good thing about working for Credible and because I've been doing medical finance for so long is that when you start the process with us, we're, I'm kind of already ahead of the curve a little bit yeah. because I already know what to expect when I see your application coming in. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're setting up a new practice, I know how much it's going to cost you. I know the type of equipment you're going to need to buy and I know how much you're going to need to borrow to see that. So I'm kind of looking at it to see, does all this make sense? You know, is it, because we, you know, we set up dental practices every day of the week. So it's kind of easy for me to benchmark one against the other. And I guess sometimes that's how we add value to clients as well, because if we see you coming in, setting up a a dental practice and 
spending twice as much as the average Joe. We'll go, well, well, why? What are you spending your money on? You know, yeah. so we kind of challenge that. But I think for me, like, I mean, the numbers are important, but I think as a credit person, there's a risk that it becomes just all about numbers because like I make an effort where possible to get out and meet clients if I can. But a typical credit person, you're behind a desk and you're just looking at numbers on paper. And it's, it becomes very easy to forget that there's actual an actual person behind those yeah. numbers. You know, and your decision is actually going to, you know, impact them greatly, you know, and might help them achieve their dream of setting up a practice or it might set them right back. So I try never to forget that. But and and so I kind of I often look to the story behind the numbers and it's, you know, who is this person that we're actually backing and trying to get to know the individual. I always want to see what due diligence you've done yourself. You know, I want to see that you you're not rushing into this, that it's something you've thought about. You know, have you have you done a business plan? There's kind of lots of templates out there that you can get on the internet, and we've got templates that we give clients. And it, it might seem like a chore to sit down and write a business plan, but it doesn't have to be war and peace. You know, it just it could be a couple of pages, but you might have it all in your head. But I think there's something valuable about getting it down on paper and just getting it out. And it, it might make you think about things that you haven't thought about. And it, it just demonstrates to the lender that you've done some research and you've thought about the obligations that you're actually going to take on, you know? So definitely any way you can demonstrate the research that you've done today before actually, you know, going to get finance. The other thing that I would do ahead of time is, is have a chat to your accountant, you know, mm -hmm. bring them into the piece as early as possible because a lender is going to want to see your, your financials, your most recent financials. So get onto your accountant and just say, listen, I'm, I'm going, planning on going for a loan. I just want to make sure that the profit and loss is done, the balance sheet is done, that I have the information that I need to give to this lender. Any lender is going to want to make sure that your tax is up to date. Mm -hmm. So you, again, speak to your accountant, make sure you're up to date on all your taxes. And the other thing about your accountant is that they'll be involved to advise you on the borrowing structure that you want to borrow in you know there's a big difference from in terms of tax efficiencies in terms of borrowing in your own name do i set up a company do i set up a family trust you know what product do i borrow under do i do it as a lease as a business loan as a chattel mortgage yeah um so they'll be able to advise you on that sort of stuff as well so i would say i guess if, if i was to sum it up into three things i would say choose the right lender and i would, I would talk to your peers about that you know, what experiences have they had with lenders in the past? Yeah. Um, I know there's a lot of forums on, on Facebook and social media uh, where dentists get together and kind of share that sort of information. So I would seek those out and just mm -hmm. see what experiences your, your peers have had. Yeah. Do a business plan and chat to your accountant as early as possible. Get your financials in order. Um, so you have those to give to your lender. Perfect. So in terms of the practice numbers, I think that'd be a cool thing just to maybe get some rough ideas from you. Cause you said you guys obviously do a lot of these, for example, say in Sydney right now or in Melbourne, a practice sort of in, within the Metro region, like maybe, you know, 40 minutes from the, the CBD. What's like an average sort of startup cost that you're seeing um, to start a practice? Probably on average, probably around the $500,000 mark. Yeah. Is yeah. that for how many chairs yeah. would that be? That's probably for two chairs. Two chairs. Yeah. 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 And it, you know, it will, it will, it will vary either way. Depend. You can do it for less and you can mm -hmm. do it for more, but if I was picking a ballpark, that's probably roughly where it would be. You know, you'll probably spend about half of that on the fit out and half of it on equipment. So that's kind of the average I would say that we see, but it is possible to do it cheaper depending on, on what bargains you can find. And sure. um, it depends how, 
you know, the sort of technology that you want to have in there on day one. Yeah. And do uh, dentists get any funding for like cash flow reserves when they start a practice? So to cover overhead and things, or is the money that you can borrow just purely for fit out and, and equipment? No, so we we really don't expect any any cash in from our clients normally when they're when they're borrowing. We will normally fund hundred percent of everything. So I mean, really, what we want to see from you is that you know you've done your research that you know the business venture makes sense, but and we expect you to you know stand behind it with your personal guarantee. You know, so personally, you're on the hook for the debt and you're liable for it. Mm-hmm. But other, and you'll have to cover your legal costs and accounting costs or any other advisors that you have. But we'll fund 100% of the assets normally, up to 100% of the assets. And we'll also give you a working capital facility. So we'll give you an overdraft for your cash flow that will keep you going initially. I mean, the thing with starting a practice from scratch is that, you know, you're taking on all this debt, all this liability, and and you still haven't, you know, you haven't got a patient until you open your doors on day one. Yeah. So we try to think creatively about that, like, to maybe structure your repayments as well. So we'll, we'll give you maybe a period of no repayments and then we'll ramp it up to maybe a period of interest only where you just pay interest. And then you actually get into your principal and interest repayments where you actually start paying the debt down. So we try and structure it for you so there's not too much pressure on you too soon. So you have that time to build up your patient base and, and build up cash flow. And then you, you have that working capital overdraft as well to kind of you know cover you in those early days. While you're Excellent. That up. Yeah. And I guess the follow up would that be so in terms of the, the cases that you see, so I open a practice in February of next year, how like a, a scratch start, what do you see in terms of trends of like, how long does it take these practices to become cash flow positive and then to become like sustainable sort of businesses going forward? Is that changing in duration sort of like in the last five years or so is it taking longer for practices startups to sort of start becoming cash flow positive or has that been pretty, pretty stable for the past few years? It's pretty stable. It's pretty stable. I mean, it will, it will vary a lot, you know, depending on where you're setting up and where you've been practicing before. If you're, you know, bringing a patient base with you that you know will follow you because it's, it's close to where you've worked historically, you're going to get there that bit faster, you know? So, so that is a big variable in it. You know, whether you're yeah. just start, starting up somewhere you've never been before, you've got no patient base versus whether, you know, you're in an area that you've worked in before and you've already got a following. So that's going to make a big difference. You know, logically, we find that it makes sense for a lot of our clients to set up somewhere that they know and understand, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe it's close to where they live or they've worked in the vicinity before. So they've got a good feel for it. And they kind of, they know that they'll be able to drum up some patient base or they've got an existing base that will follow them. But, uh, you know, for the first six to 12 months, you'll, you know, you'll be relying on probably on that working capital facility. And that's why we'll, we'll structure your repayments within that period. But hopefully after that, you know, you'll get to a point where you're positive. So if I'm looking at getting into practice ownership, say I'm opening up next year, or I'm thinking of buying a practice next year, knowing everything that you know within the, the space and your experience with working with so many different dental professionals, what would be your advice? What would be a better play? Would it be to buy a practice that's been you know, there for 15, 20 years, the, the principal dentist is potentially about to retire? Or should I open a, a scratch practice so I can kind of customize things and make it more modern and do it my way from the start? Understanding that the cash flow won't be there from the start compared to the first way. Um, I think they're both valid options, um, Omid. And you know, it's going to depend on your individual circumstances. I think obviously we're buying an established practice 
um, you've got a patient base ready to go. It's already generating a cash flow for you. So there are definitely benefits to doing that. You've got to think about some different things than you would if you were just setting up from scratch. You've got to think about whether you're, you know, a good cultural fit for the practice, you know, whether the patient base is, is sticky, whether, you know, why is the vendor selling? You know, is there a risk that they might just move down the road and set up again and take their patient base with them? So is, is there that risk there? Um, or are they going into retirement so you feel comfortable with that? And you want to get in there and you want to look through the books and you want to actually spend time in the practice and get a feel for it if you can. You know, explore, you know, who are, who are the other staff that are working there? Am I going to get on with them? Are they going to stay? Or are they just going to make my life difficult? So there's a, lot, there's a, a whole raft of other things that you've got to think about. Buying an established practice, it can be more expensive mm -hmm. sometimes, depending on the practice that you're buying. Like, I mean, we've seen a lot of activity with corporates in the space, you know, the big dental corporates buying up dental practices and they'll, they'll pay premiums, you know, and they've driven up the price, the sale price of established practices. So if you're in a position where you're kind of competing against a corporate or something, it's very difficult for an individual practitioner to go up against a corporate. Unless, unless the vendor is actually concerned about who buys it. And, yeah. and I mean, that is one thing. We see a lot of medical professionals selling their practice who actually really care about who's going to take it over and the experience, the experience their patients are going to have going forward. So you will see some vendors out there who actually might accept a lower price from, a, from an individual practitioner. That's, that's great. Yeah. yeah, so we do see that um, because they don't want their patients to go into that corporate beast, you know, and, and have a different level of care than they would in the hands of an individual practitioner. So there's no right or wrong. I think, you know, if you're, I think what may weigh it for you is if, the, the price of the established practice is just too high and you don't see value in it. And if you're pretty certain that, you know, there's plenty of space in the area for you to set up anyway, and there will still be demand for you. And, you know, you've got your own patients anyway, so you're not too worried about that. Yeah, both valid options, but I think it will, it will come down to, to what you Those think is factors. best for you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting you bring up the the corporate aspect of it, you know, uh, coming from Canada and like obviously seeing what's going on in the US with all the corporate dental practices expanding, you know, to a lesser extent here in Australia, but definitely growing as well as a trend that, you know, you notice over the past sort of few years. Has that changed maybe the volume of or the number of dentists going into practice ownership, do you think? Like you think this next generation of dentists graduating may be less likely than like maybe dentists graduating 15 years ago to open a practice? It's interesting. I, don't, I actually don't think we're, we're finished with the corporate story and how that's all going to evolve and play out. Mm -hmm. um, we've actually seen some of them fail because I think there's something key to medical practice that's missing in a corporate. And that's, you know, having actually a medical practitioner that's making the decisions and calling the shots mm -hmm. and is actually running it. You know, with the, with the corporates we've seen, like a lot of them haven't made, like there, there are some that haven't made it through, through COVID. Because they've got this high level executive, you know, committee that's making the decisions. They're taking big salaries. They're not making sure that the medical practitioners on the ground are kept happy. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of dysfaction, dissatisfaction with practitioners who are working in that corporate environment. So they're leaving. So it's, it's interesting. I don't think that story is finished just with corporates. And it's yeah. interesting that some of them have failed. So I think there's always going to be a place for those practices that are independent and owned by medical practitioners. So we haven't really seen it, you know, stop practitioners from going into practice. Um, there are some of them where, you know, we've had to have frank conversations with our clients and saying, 
you know, this, this price is, is inflated, you know, because there's a corporate in the picture, do, do you really want to pay this much for a practice? Like, is there real value in it? Because, mm. you know, it, the market has just been inflated by the presence of this corporate in your, you know, in the negotiations that you're in. Um, so we've had to have some of those frank conversations and then some clients have decided that that's not the practice for them maybe. And they've had to walk away and just rethink about what they want to do. But, but I wouldn't say it has, it has stopped practitioners. I think there will always be a place for that. Yeah. I hope so. I hope that's the case. Cause I think, you know, at the core of it, like having uh, your own practice, patients come to you because they want to see you for a long term and, and not just coming to see you because you're the cheapest you know, on price and necessarily just accept their insurance and all those kind of things. I think that's a, it'd be sad if we lose that sort of in, in, in the profession. And it's interesting because you said the corporates come in and they pay a premium sort of really leveraged on these deals that they do. And if it doesn't pan out, or if there's a downturn like with, with we have with COVID, it's going to really um, hurt their sort of uh, bottom line. And it's going to really impact exactly them right. than a regular practice would. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, you know, just to sort of like wrap up on a, on a happy note or a, on a high note here, a lot of stuff that I've been doing with the podcast is sort of like, you know, personality traits and mindsets and things. I'm curious, like, do you have any like interesting success stories that you can share with us? Obviously, uh, keep it anonymous and whatnot, but uh, of like a, you know, a person or buying a practice and then a few years later, like doing really well and expanding or buying another practice. I'm curious to see like what type of individual that person is. Well, like, I guess the thing that we, that we enjoy most and, and a lot of our clients we have this relationship with is that we're actually with them from the start. Mm-hmm. You know, when they, when they graduate, you know, we, we start the relationship and we're there when, when they buy their first home, you know, we're there when they decide to go into private practice, you know, and we're there when they go into retirement and they're selling it on to the next generation of medical practitioners. So yeah. that's the nicest part about our job. I think that you get to see, you get to, you get to share in the success, you know, and you get to follow them along the way. And that makes my job easier too, because it's easier to lend advance further credit to someone that you already have a relationship, you know, and that you know who they are, you know their story. So for me, it's very important. If I've got an existing client, I said, yeah, of course, I know Dr. X. We did their home for them a couple of years ago. Makes sense that they're now going into private practice. You know, we've had a great history with them to date. I think as a lender, you can't beat the fact that someone has already had lending with you. And you've had a good history with them. That's a good indicator that, you, you know, they're going to behave the same way as you follow on. Yeah. So in terms of my job and what I do, some of the stories I love are the ones where we can just think outside the box, where we've had clients come to us who haven't been able to get finance elsewhere for things like their credit score wasn't at a level that the retail banks expected it to be. And it was just an automatic decline. Mm-hmm. So again, going back to, looking past the numbers and actually sitting down and talking to that individual and say, well, well, why is your credit card? So score, why is your credit score so low? And, you know, it's, it's a case that you talk to them and you find out, well, you know, I was shopping around for all these 0% interest-free credit card deals. I just kept co- swapping my credit card around all the time. <laughs> like to anyone that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, I don't want to pay interest if I don't have to. So I'm just going to mm-hmm. keep changing my credit card. So as a result, their credit file had all these applications for credit cards on it. And that resulted in them having a low score. Yeah. So from sitting down with them and understanding with them, you know, their their story, we can get past those numbers and then just get comfortable with the deal and still, you know, support them. You know, we had another dental client who wanted to buy a practice premises and they hadn't done their tax returns for, for like two years mm-hmm. and no lender would touch them, you know? So we sat down to them and we were like, well, well, why haven't you done your tax returns? And, 
the story was that, well, you know, my accountant does that and <laughs> they, they didn't. So, and I guess we, we understand that medical professionals are really time poor. You know, yeah. you spend so much time with your patients. You don't have time to be keeping on top of your finances. You tend to rely on other people to give you good advice and, and do that for you. But unfortunately, you can be let down at times, you know, and, and that's what happened here. The accountant let them down. They had to switch accountants, but it takes time then for a new accountant to get across your finances and get everything squared away. So it's we, we try to think creatively, I guess, because we know basically how, how a dentist earns their income. We know their income structure and how it's, you know, how it's how it works. So we try and see, well, what other information can we get to try and mitigate this? So let's see your bank statement so we can see that your income's coming in every month so we know how much is coming in. Let's get your ATO statement so we can see that you've been paying your tax all the way along so you're not going to have a big tax bill. And we kind of know that you've got a savings buffer there. So if there is a big tax bill, we know that you're going to be able to, to pay it. And they're, they're the ways that we can still get the deal done and still support them, whereas maybe a typical lender would just it would be a knockout blow because they had a low credit score or hadn't you know completed their their tax return so yeah. it's, it's the story that i love and getting to know our clients and uh, you know finding out you know what drives them and what they want to achieve and that's kind of how we try to operate that's excellent that's that's uh, i think that's a huge advantage for that you guys take the time to actually meet with the person and get their side of the story and see what's going on and, and then make decisions based on that uh, you're not just like you know inputting their information in some excel sheet or something that spits out yes or no and then kind of deciding based on that the human aspect of it i think is is very very good i guess the last thing i'll touch on because i think we didn't mention it and you brought it up just then a little bit was the credit score aspect of things for you know for the people listening you know credit scores obviously Australian, but obviously in Canada and the US, and it's a similar sort of process. Can you just touch on what credit score is and how it's sort of affected by sort of our day-to-day activity that we do? Sure. It is. And it is one thing that, you know, a lot of people don't even know it exists or what it is, but nearly everybody has a credit file. And it's not just Australia-wide. You know, I was working in Ireland before I came here. It was exactly the same over there. So you've got independent credit bureaus. The most popular over here is called Equifax. But basically, as soon as you apply for say a utility so your gas your electricity as soon as you go for a mobile phone contract um, or credit card a credit file is created on you and it it lists basically all your activities related to taking out credit so it it will show what applications you've applied for historically in australia it's only showed negative information Mm -hmm. so it showed you know if you've had any defaults if you've had any judgments against you, any court writs, if you've gone bankrupt, it'll show all that sort of data. So it will calculate a score based on, you know, your history of applying for credit, the frequency of doing that, you know, whether there's been any negative information on there, and then it will calculate a score. And then some, some lenders use that to build it into their assessment process and their approval process. Mm-hmm. So that will be an element you know, ultimately, it's, it's, it's designed to help lenders get an indication of what sort of credit risk you're going to be, yeah. you know, and the likelihood that you're going to default on your loan. One of the good things now is that Australia is bringing in what's called comprehensive credit reporting. So countries overseas have had this for a long time. Australia haven't. But basically, what comprehensive credit reporting means is that it will start sharing positive information. Mm-hmm. So lenders have signed up to start um, giving information to the bureaus on whether you're meeting your monthly loan repayments. So it won't just show, uh, I've defaulted on my loan. It will show, look at me, I'm a good borrower. I'm making my repayments every month on the loans that I've taken out. So 
I think that will help you recover more quickly if in you know that scenario where you've been shopping around for credit cards and it's impacted your score. Yeah. Once we start get that, getting that positive information showing, it will help you recover more quickly because there's some real positive data there where we can see how you've behaved when making those repayments on those loans. So that's what a credit file is. Everybody has it. A lender is going to look at it. Even you know a mobile phone provider will look at it yeah. uh, when you apply for those sort of things. So um, it's good to know what it is. You're entitled to a free copy of it, like one free copy a year. Okay, so you nice. could you, you could call up Equifax and say, I want to see a copy of my credit file. And they're obliged to provide that to you. Yeah. It's also a really good way for you to cover off on identity fraud. You know, so if you're looking at your credit file every year, you're looking at, okay, well, what loans did I apply for? And you see something there that you didn't apply for. It's a really good way of picking up, okay, what's going on? Did someone apply for a loan in my name? Um, so you can uh, get on top of identity fraud that way as well. And just making sure that your score is a good reflection of you, you know, the information that they have is accurate and, and reflects, you know, your behavior. That's excellent advice. So can you, so you can, can you do it online as well with Equifax or is it mostly just via the phone? Yeah. Yeah. You can do it online. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. It'd be good to good information to have just so you can kind of know where you're sitting. Uh, I guess like a, a silly question is, you know, like if you, if you're late on like a cell phone bill for a month or something, does that impact it negatively? Or is it, if it goes all the way to the point of like defaulting it? Well, it goes, historically it's been all the way to defaulting, but when lenders start giving that that positive data of actually seeing every monthly loan repayment, yeah. it's got it's going to show if you miss one month. But by the same token, you know if you miss one month out of twelve or out of twenty four, you know if it's not if it's not a behavior thing where you're constantly missing repayments, mm-hmm. then it shouldn't impact you too much. You should be able to explain that to a lender. Again, you know if they're if they're willing to sit down with you and hear your story and yeah. you know <laughs> your circumstances and what actually happened to the results in that, that situation yeah perfect that was great glenn thank you so much i mean we covered a lot of information sort of about um, you know what debt is how to use debt to sort of uh, you know accelerate growth or private equity or just using your own cash flow to do those things uh, we talked about the loan application process and sort of what are the things you look at for deciding if it's like a good applicant or not to to get funded we also talked about you know the benefits of using a specialist lender versus you know the retail ones that you mentioned the banks and, and those sort of things finally you know about you know buying a practice versus a startup so a lot of you know it was pretty jam-packed there last thing i'll ask you is if there's anything that you think the listeners would you know value hearing from from yourself that i haven't asked you just get involved in your in your finances you know kind of you know in terms of you know, taking ownership of your credit score. Like yeah. I, I do know you're time poor, but you know, I, I guess the biggest thing is like just research, education, understanding how finance works, what's the best option for you. And, you know, taking control of things like your credit score and, and managing, managing them yourself. Yeah, I guess that's, that's the way to go. We'll finish off. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you for, for joining us. Thank you for sharing your, your experience and uh, knowledge and expertise on the area. I think a lot of people will kind of uh, get a lot of value from that episode. I hope so. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Omid. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Newbie Dentist Podcast please be sure to subscribe and head over to iTunes and give the show a five-star rating. For all show notes and to access all previous episodes, head over to www.newbedentist.com. Have a great day.